I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. In the studio with me is the Director of Music and Principal Organist from the Newark United Methodist Church, Ned Pervo. Welcome, Ned. Hello. It's great to have you with us today. Taking a little different uh, track today than we normally do, uh, speaking with a church musician. But I, I think it's important because so much of our culture revolves around music, both in the sacred and in the secular settings. And many participants nationwide in church choirs, church music programs, don't necessarily see themselves as performing artists. But in a way, they are. They are involved in the performing arts, just with a specific focus in mind. Ned, let's hear from you a little bit first about your background as a musician. Well, I got my start in music in fourth grade when I started piano lessons. Um and continued all the way through um, college as a music major. I first um, became active in the church as a musician at age 15. Our church pianist um, had to move, and I took over playing the hymns. And that's where I learned to sight read because the hymns were given to me maybe about 10 minutes before the service. And then I was a music education major at the College of New Jersey, which was formerly Trenton State College. And I studied piano, trombone, and choral concentration, and also the instrumental concentration there. And then I just completed my uh, Master's of Arts in Church Music, which also has a strong theology component from Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, congratulations on the degree. Well, thank you. So um, I I have to go back to something you mentioned because it it intrigues me. You became uh, the pianist for a church service when you were 15? Yes, yes. Now, was this for a traditional service, a more contemporary service? or It was a little non-denominational church at the Jersey Shore. So very traditional in the sense that they're— it was hymns out of hymnal. Okay. Um, they didn't necessarily follow the church year other than Christmas and Easter as okay. far as holidays. Okay. But I, I'm just intrigued by that because I did something very similar when I was in high school. I, I played for the contemporary service okay. at our church on, on piano. It wasn't in the sanctuary. It was in a se- separate social hall, much more informal service. So it's interesting that we, we share that in common. So what brought you to, uh, to Newark? Well, about uh, two years ago, the um, campus pastor for the Wesley Foundation at the University of Delaware called me. We had worked uh, at a previous Methodist church previously together in New Jersey, and she said that um, Betsy Kent, the longtime director of Newark United Methodist, was retiring, and they were uh, starting the interview process. So I sent my resume, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to be in a congregation that's at the heart of the campus at the university. Now, I would imagine there is something uh, maybe a bit intimidating about coming into a program that has been so well-established by your predecessor. What What are the challenges you found coming into an established program, and now what have you done to sort of make that program your own? Well, um, it, it is a little um, challenging to come into something that's very established, uh, a lot different than if you're taking over a smaller parish where you can kind of just change it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was really already functioning very well at the church. And so my first year was uh, just continuing what was already established and taking notes on 
um, where I see things could go maybe in a different direction. And then my second year here at the church was uh, adding some different things to the programming um, and exploring different ways to uh, have some of the services happen, like maybe add orchestra to our Good Friday service or our lessons and carols. And um, and then next year is, now that I've experienced the whole program year in this new format, finding volunteers to help take over some of the duties because it is a very large operation for um, to administrate. Now, in terms of, for lack of a better word, programming, because there, there's a whole selection of of hymns that the congregation will sing. There's selection of the organ music that you will play uh, throughout the service. There's a selection of anthems that your choir will sing. In in a community choir or community chorus, the music director would be able to sort of develop a, a program mm-hmm. of of pieces without necessarily regard for any exterior forces but you have to take into consideration uh the the liturgical issues of the particular sunday whether it be a special you know feast day or holiday or whatever uh, as well as what the scripture readings are for the day how what goes into your selection of music for any given sunday it is a um, very huge process to choose music for the services uh we are mostly a lectionary-based congregation when it comes to our liturgical services, which means that we're on a three-year cycle of readings. Uh, The major feast days and holidays are the same in the three-year cycle, but um, the music and readings are not the same every Sunday um, until you complete the three-year cycle. So that's Mm -hmm. part of it for choosing the music. For hymns, um, you have not only your denominational hymnal, but uh, supplements that they've published. And now with various licenses, really, um, you could have anything from around the world. It's really a globalized uh, music experience now. Mm -hmm. And so you have to pick music that not only fits the um, pastor's sermon topic and the theme of the day and the scriptures, but also music that's singable and familiar to your congregation how many old chestnuts are you going to um, have in the cycle that um, hymns that people have grown up with? And then how much uh, new music are you going to introduce? You don't want to do too much in one service. You need, mm-hmm. um, you know, I call it the apology for drawing something new, you know, something <laughs> familiar to send them out. And then for the anthems, it's the same thing. And then you also have to take into account um, uh, the text. Is it, uh, meaningful? Does it fit the day? Um, What kind of language is it using? If we have a lot of inclusive language in our service, we uh, may not want a lot of uh, gender-specific language in in regards to God in Mm -hmm. the anthem, Mm -hmm. Um, or or kind of like a yin-yang thing. If if something's heavy in one area, I'll go with a different pronoun in another. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, you have to take into account the um, is the accompaniment worth anything? You could have great text and a lousy accompaniment. Mm-hmm. And then the choir is made up of people with a range of abilities from um, people with perfect pitch and then people who know that if the note gets higher, they sing higher. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to find music that finds the common ground with all the members of the choir. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because having sung in church choirs, some more uh, voluntary, le- less professional, and others more professional. How how do you how do you work with that range of abilities within your choir, and, and how do you? How do you take the more experienced musicians within the choir to sort of mentor uh, the less experienced? Well, um, there's a couple ways I do that. The um, choir has specific seating that they sit in um, that not only blends the choir according to voice type uh, and a seating that brings out the beauty in everyone's voice, but also strategically places the more experienced singers throughout the ensemble. Of course, that only works when people remember to sit there. Right. Um, but it is a really great help and um, and really works at its best when we're uh, at Christmas or Easter, the bigger days when everyone shows up. Mm-hmm. It gets a little more rocky with people's schedules when they're in and out. The music is presented in a, uh, many different ways. Um, I really value my um, music education degree, which has been a great help in teaching people how to sing. And the the music is done in rehearsal. They also get uh, YouTube clips and PDFs of the music to practice at home, rehearsal CDs. So it's really presented in ways that all levels of the choir members can learn the music. Mm Could you elaborate on that? I'm intrigued by that. In what way is singing in a church choir not only a, a preparation for an upcoming service, but also an opportunity for training musicians and improving the individual skill sets and also the overall sound of the choir? Okay. Um, so each week, it's a little different than a community choir because we don't have maybe 12 to 15 weeks to prepare a set of music. So every Sunday comes right after another. So we work ahead about six to eight weeks on our music and our larger works, um, 10 to 15 rehearsals on that. The, um, the hold on, I'm trying to remember exactly everything uh-huh. that you said. Just how how does the how do you work the choir as a training ground for the oh. individual musician as well as for the the whole sound? The um, the warm ups that I do with the choir are designed for everyone to develop their voices. A lot of people have sung a long time throughout their life, but may not be accessing their full resonance when they sing, or breast support may be lacking. Um, also, with the wide age range of a choir. Um, Younger singers will have different vocal issues than older singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the uh, the warm-ups and the repertoire itself helps develop the musical skills of the ensemble. And uh, the program of the church is set up that um, the children start in uh, first grade and they continue through the choirs until they graduate. And um, we use a curriculum called Voice for Life through the Royal School of Church Music in America, which is the curriculum that cathedrals in England use to train their choristers. And it um, works on developing not only musical skills, but faith formation skills. Mm -hmm. And so they come up through that level, kind of like choir karate where they get different Mm -hmm. colored ribbons. And by the time they reach the youth corral, which is the high school level, 
if they successfully have completed the other tasks, you have children who can sight-read hymns, know their key signatures, intervals, all that kind of stuff. So the graded children's program really uh, results in a um, top-notch youth ensemble once they've gone through the program. The harder thing is that um, once they graduate, they go away. And they, the goal is for them to sing somewhere in someone's choir, but it, the days are gone where they come back to sing uh, in their hometown usually. And so when you have the adult choir, you have to train them from the beginning to the most advanced singer all within that one group. Okay. There's more I'd like to pursue, but first remind our listeners, you're tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM. And 1410 WDOV. Our guest in the studio today is Ned Pervo, the Director of Music and Principal Organist for the Newark United Methodist Church. We've been talking about church music and church musicians. Ned, uh, could you uh, sort of give an overview of how many different choirs or choral groups you're talking about? With, yes. That you work with, say, on a weekly basis or however so, that works? Yes. Yeah, so as the Director of Music, I'm personally responsible for conducting three ensembles and then overseeing the whole program. And I'm fortunate to have fantastic volunteers with things like degrees in choral conducting. You know, <laughs> so the real bonus of a university town mm-hmm. is having these dedicated volunteers who can really train people. So our choirs, um, we're divided into four choirs. We have our carol choir, which is grades one through three, crusader, grades four through six, the youth chorale, which is grades 7 through 12, and then the chancel choir, which is the adult ensemble. Um, Then we have three handbell ensembles, uh, grades 4 through 6, 7 through 12, and then adult. And then we have a praise and worship ensemble, which um, is really any age group because it consists of singers and instrumentalists. Mm -hmm. Mm Now, I'm, I'm guessing, and I could be wrong, would it be a fair guess to say that the adult choir probably has the wider range of abilities or not? I'm thinking when you have, you know, your young kids first through third grade, they they're all coming with more of a similar background to music. Is that is that a fair assessment? Or yes. Not? Um the the youngest choir, they're all about on the same level. Right. Um and then you start to see the differences with children who are in choir and band and taking piano lessons in school. In school, right. And mm-hmm. so there'll be a, a definite jump in ability in those children. Mm-hmm. And then the adult choir, um, people just like to sing. Mm-hmm. And then we have people who are music educators in the choir and or sing with community groups. Mm-hmm. Now, how frequently do each of these choirs actually participate in worship services? I'm assuming the chancel choir is weekly. Yes, the um, chancel choir is weekly. They get the uh, Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Mm -hmm. Easter off, and we go from September through June. The children sing monthly, once a month, at the service. And our uh, grades four through six choir, the Crusader Choir, when they sing, they're at one of the liturgical services functioning as the choir and worship leaders for that entire service. And apart from the choirs, you are also the principal organist. Could you speak about that and what the demands are there? I mean, I'm always fascinated with, with the church musician who you know has responsibility for all of this. Where do they find time for their own you know musicianship? 
Right. So um, as principal organist, that means that I play – I usually play two out of the three liturgical services. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, an associate organist and director of handbells who plays the early 8 o'clock service and also accompanies the larger organ-based anthems that need a conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, the space where the choir sings, the chancel at the front of the sanctuary, is very wide – which means that when you're behind the organ or the piano, it's difficult to conduct certain anthems from behind the console. So when um, when I'm in a bind like that, I have some accompanists within the congregation to help out. Mm-hmm. And as an organist, um, it is very difficult to uh, maintain a program and your own keyboard skills. So a majority, a large part of my practice time is actually at home where I've built a virtual pipe organ hmm. which runs off of computer software where they've recorded great pipe organs around the world. Mm-hmm. It's called Hotfork uh, software. And so um, there are some days where I'll log on at home, access my computer, get my paperwork done, and then I'll um, rehearse at home in my in my living room. Mm-hmm. And then I have to plan out um, – how everything's going to work at the church because no organ is the same. And and so I practice in theory at home and then I get to the church and see if it's actually worked. So this piece you have at home is actual keyboards that you work with? Yeah, it's a whole organ console and pedal board and two iPads that I use to control the the stops Okay, to select the sounds. How is the uh, touch of the keys compared to the keyboard at the church? Um, a little lighter. Yeah. Um, so that is another adjustment. Right. right. So um, it's, you know, you just have to deal with it. That's fascinating. Now, I, I had a question in mind uh, before I came into the studio, and uh, you may be too young to, to be able to answer this, but the, the, the question I have is this. I'm, I'm much older than you. Uh, What's your sense of how church music has changed over time uh, in terms of it, its role in the service or the nature of the, the, the people participating in it? Do you have any sense of that? Um, I mean, you started at a fairly early age, as you said. I did. It it's, that's a, has a lot of answers, I guess, to it, depending <laughs> which way you go. Um, the music itself— um, Really gone are the days where you have one denominational hymnal for your congregation. Uh, We have our United Methodist hymnal and at least two supplements that we use in addition to that. And also with our various uh, licenses we subscribe to, we have an unlimited resource of music. So really as globalization has taken over the rest of society, it has also affected music within the church. Mm And um, actually, next Advent season, we're looking into having um, Advent music from different cultures mm-hmm. within our service. So um, that's one aspect of it. So you're not singing the old chestnuts all the time that everyone knew. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as um, the people participating in the program, um, it's not like – and this is really true when I first started. Everyone kind of went to the local school. You knew the music teachers. They all came from one program. Um, here in the day of charter schools and private schools, uh, I can't even count how many school districts our children come from. Mm-hmm. 
And so their experiences are all different with their musical background. So really the training occurs um, in the church to help mm-hmm. gel everything together. And then your adult choir is really um, more overbooked than ever before. Um, so we have, um, I would say, an active membership of 30, but depending on the week, you could be 20 or you could have 25 or 30 or relatives could be in town. You could have 40. So by overbooked, you mean just commitments, commitments. to other things, traveling oh, or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And really Saturdays in our culture have disappeared uh, and and the activities that people would do on the weekend, sports and travel and things like that have crept into our Sunday schedule. Mm-hmm. And and even with the, how we schedule a church just to be able to uh, rehearse everyone, we have our services in the morning, um, our concert series is in the afternoon, and then all children's and youth choir rehearsals are in the evening mm-hmm. and followed by youth group. So mm-hmm. really Sunday is just a full day at church. We've only got about 30 seconds left, but just quickly, what kind of instrumentation changes have been occurring, you know, in addition to the organ? Uh, Well, so back in the day, it was mostly the organ. Mm -hmm. Um, But even in our liturgical side, you'll see things, uh, a lot of use of the piano, um, uh, global instruments, shakers, drums, things like that. And then in the contemporary side, a mix of uh, keyboards, drums, guitars, and then I've been in situations where I've done um, midi-fied or uh, organ that produces song uh, mm-hmm. sounds like a keyboard. Great. Well, Ned Pervo, it's been a real delight talking to you about the music that you're doing at Newark United Methodist Church and the role of the church musician, and for for you know just community members to have a great music musical experience. Thank you very much. Thank you.